You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Thank you very much indeed for your welcome this morning. It's good to be here once again. Probably nearly 10 years I've been coming here occasionally. Uh, We're based in Maidstone where um, I was in full-time ministry for many, many years and then retired and still in full-time ministry. (laughs) And I come down here quite a lot because I come to IBTI most Fridays and teach there. So the track between our home and Burgess Hill is is quite well worn. We're based in Maidstone, um, which has been our home for most of our lives, nearly all of my life. And as we look back, we just thank God for all his goodness and all his grace and all the things that he has done um, in our lives and is still doing and is still helping us. So, it's good to be with you as I say and I'd like to bring ministry to you from Psalm 42 this morning please. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mesar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Saviour and my God. Psalm 43 is really the same psalm in some um, countries, some um, other languages. Uh, This is put together as one psalm, it's all Psalm 42. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth, let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a harp, O O God, my God. And then this refrain that keeps coming through. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? For put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And then I'll just read one verse from the third epistle of John, chapter 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting 
belong well. I want to speak this morning about our soul. And to ask the question um, to you, but also to me as well, because it's very personal and pertinent, how is your soul? In those two psalms that we read together, I think seven times the word soul is mentioned. I don't know what you think the soul is. We sometimes talk about body, soul and spirit, and Paul did talk about that um, within one um, frame. Our body, our soul and our spirit, as though they are three different parts of our body. I'm not absolutely sure that in that um, scripture, um, that verse that Paul wrote, we are meant to have a theological basis for kind of separating our, our whole being into three parts. And sometimes soul and spirit is used interchangeably in the Bible. So um, it's not always easy to put together what we mean by soul. Uh, I don't know whether we use the phrase so much nowadays, but we use it to say we had five souls who came to Jesus last night, or whatever. Um, and it's this, as though there's a soul. Um, yeah, actually, they were people without a body as well. And um, this idea that our souls go to heaven, and we're, we're floating around there. And the truth of the matter is that when we are saved, it is not just our soul, whatever that is, and I hope I'll explain it to you. It's not just our soul, but it's our body. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in wholeness. We don't believe that we're all separate parts, that some go some way and some the other, but God has made us as whole beings. Um, I, I guess also they used to use phrases on the news when a ship went down. There were 500 souls that were lost and all these souls sort of disappearing into the earth. And that great hymn, It is well with my soul. Isn't that a fantastic, glorious, wonderful hymn to be able to say, it is well with my soul. But what is our soul? What is it? Where is your soul? Eh? So if you went through a CT scanner um, at the hospital or an X-ray machine, would they find your soul there? What are, we, what are we looking for? What's it all about? For me, I'd just like to look at it like this, and I want to give you three kind of illustrations and maybe just unpack them a bit. Our soul is the deepest part within us. It is the part within us that controls part. I'm not even happy with that word, but the soul controls everything that we do. It all depends upon our soul. And... People who are not Christians, they have a soul. Their soul affects what they do. And as believers in Christ, we can have a soul that is doing well or that is not doing well. The soul is the life force that drives every single thing that is within us and that holds everything together. The condition of our soul is incredibly important. My soul thirsts for you, O God. What did the psalmist mean when he used that kind of language. Let me just give you these three illustrations. It seems to me that the soul, first of all, is a bit like a stream. And if the stream is flowing well through the meadow or wherever it happens to be, if the stream is flowing well, then everything else around it flourishes. If the stream dries up, then there is no fruitfulness, then the grass dies, then the animals have nowhere to come and feed, and everything shrivels up if the, if the stream is not going as it should be. The stream may be shallow, 
It may be blocked up as we go around the countryside, you see people who've thrown their washing machines into, into streams and rivers, and it blocks everything up. It can dry up in the heat of the day or because there is drought. But a good stream that is flowing well, it blesses everything around us and the whole, the whole kind of perspective around is doing well. It refreshes us. It brings harmony to life. That is our soul. And so what is flowing through our lives at this moment, our soul, the condition of the soul, condition of the stream, affects everything else. It will affect our emotions, it will affect our mind, it will affect our bodies. Everything depends upon the condition of our soul. Let me give you another illustration. It's a little, little bit like a computer. Within a computer, you have something that's called the operating system that is absolutely crucial to the operation of that computer. So your apps, your word processor, um, your, your, your email system, every single thing that, that, that your computer does is depending on the operating system. If the operating system goes to put, then everything else goes to put. And those of us who have had computers for a few years have had that happen. Once, twice, three times, however many times it is. Or you get some virus that comes in and attacks it and everything then goes blank and is dead and doesn't work or it can maybe work a little bit but it is struggling. It is the operating system for that computer. Our soul is the operating system for our lives. And if we allow viruses in, if we, we may not even do things but maybe things will come upon us and it will, will just corrupt. And that our soul becomes in a poor condition. If our soul is in a poor condition, every single thing in life will be affected by it. I've already mentioned emotions and so on, but our relationships will be affected. It's all to do with our soul. It is our soul that integrates everything together and makes everything else work in our lives. Thirdly, let me use a biblical illustration. You remember that Jesus told the parable of the soul. And whether the seed grew depended on the condition of the soil. And I'm not saying that this is theologically accurate, but soil and soul, um, if you play around with them in English anyway, they come pretty close to one another. And the soil is the soul. And the condition of the soil regulates what happens to the seed that is sown. So Jesus told about these different conditions of the soil. There was a, a hard path. There was a place where seed could not grow just because, just because it was barren and it was hard and it, it was baked and it, nothing would grow there. That is the condition of some souls. They, get, they, they just get hardened so that when the word of God comes to them, it does absolutely nothing because it's got nowhere to grow. I trust there's no one here this morning, your soul is so hard, you've listened to the word of God so many times that now it just goes over your head or goes in one ear and out the other because your soul has become hardened. It's the soul that matters, makes the difference. He spoke about, soil, about seed that fell on shallow ground and it just didn't grow because there wasn't enough soil there. The soul wasn't the soil, soul, soil, the soil, the soil was not in good enough condition, it was not deep enough. And it was just trivial. And it grew a little tiny bit, but nothing else. It had no, no, not possible for it to grow more. There were other 
was other seed that fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked him. And there are things in life that choke our soul. And sometimes we allow those things to happen, and the thorns grow up, and the weeds grow up, and other bad stuff grows up, and it chokes our soul so that it is not able to grow anymore, and the seed just becomes dead. All of these kind of things deaden the soul. And then this kind of MOT that we're doing this morning, health check on our soul, we need to ask ourselves, have we allowed things in our life that corrupt and that spoil and that deaden the soul? So that our soul this morning is not flourishing and we wonder why we are not praising Jesus. We wonder why we're not finding any pleasure in his word. We find that the spiritual things no longer matter to us very much. I would suggest that always it is not our outside circumstances that do that to us because we can live in victory with Jesus, in Jesus. Whatever the circumstances outside, the problem is the condition of the soul. If we have an unresponsive soul, and we just can't be bothered, or we just come on a Sunday morning and that's it. But our soul is not actually doing anything. We're taken up with so many other things. But then there was the good soil, of course, Jesus said. And when the seed growing went down into that, it just sprung up and there was fruitfulness and there was life and there was blessing. So I asked you this morning, I asked myself, how's your soul? What's it doing? It may be that you remember a time when your soul was doing pretty well, but it's not now. This is the condition that the psalmist was in. Was in. He said, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? What's gone wrong with you? Why isn't it working for me like it used to? Why isn't my spiritual life like I want it to be? It's our soul that matters. Let me say this, that we can have church life without spiritual life. You can have a soul that's not operating properly if we go back to the computer image where it's slow and it's sluggish and it's not doing and we just get fed up with it and it's, nothing's really happening. You can either have, you can have a soul like that. You can have a soul that is like that and yet be in church every Sunday and your church life can be flourishing. Because we can get locked into programs, we can get locked into projects, we can get locked into all kinds of things that give us a buzz. Do you know, you can be in church life and be right at the heart of everything just because you enjoy doing it. Just because it presses your buttons, just because it satisfies you and it motivates you. That's possible in Christian service. And we get taken up with the Christian service. I love preaching, I love teaching, you ask Anne. I'm a happy boy when I'm doing that. But I find that fulfilling. And some of you, you find fulfilling the things that you do in serving Jesus. But you can still do that and have some kind of emotional satisfaction out of it, especially if someone pats you on the head and said that was good. You can have that kind of thing, but you can, your soul can, can, be, can be struggling. And it's our soul that matters. We do, the Lord doesn't measure, if I can say this, and I believe in church with all of my heart, believe in local church. But you can, be, you, can be, you can be active and successful in church life, but your spiritual life can be as dead as the dodo. That's an extreme. But it's possible. And how is our soul? And sometimes we ask the wrong questions. What are you doing? 
And because many of us are activists, so you're an activist, some people are activists, some people are so laid back that you wonder if they're ever going to move. But um, we can do all of that kind of thing, but I don't believe the Lord is asking, what are you doing? And the question is, how's your soul? I like the things that the old Methodists used to do. We sometimes think that all the things we dreamed up in the last 50 years are all brand new, but they're not. And the early Methodists, they had these, these group meetings. They called them class meetings. And they were, t they, they typically, I don't know whether it was a rule, but typically they had 12 people in them. Sounds a little bit to me like house groups or home groups. And they were functioning in that kind of way. But the main thing that those groups did when they met each week was to ask pertinent questions. And here are some of them. What is the state of your soul? They would ask around the room, what is the state of your soul? When was the last time you were in a home group when people went around the room and said, how's your soul? How's your body? How's your weight? What medication are you on? <laughs> I mean, this is a total aside, that's saying that you laugh. But a few years ago, I was with a group of friends that I'd been at college with, and we, we met together, and um, um, we were all sort of getting on a bit. And we suddenly realised, as we were having coffee together, sitting around this table, we were all talking about the medication we want. <laughs> Who'd had a knee replacement, hip replacement? Who'd got heart problems, what we want? Oh, I'm on this for blood pressure. Oh, you're on that. Isn't that interesting? And, I, and sort of... 40, 50 years ago, it wouldn't have even entered us to our mind to have that, com that conversation. But when we get together in our home groups, what are we talking about? Or, or what, in any, any grouping? Are we, do we challenge one another? And I'm not trying to set up some kind of system, but I'm just saying that those early Methodists, they had their priorities right. What These are the questions. What temptations have you overcome this week? Have you progressed in your Christian life? And because they were very keen on holiness and perfection, have you progressed in Christian perfection and holiness this week? How have you gone on with the Lord this week? Have you met with Jesus this week? And these kind of questions are the kind of questions we don't often ask, don't often ask of ourselves, let alone of other people. But it's all to do with the condition of the soul. So deep within us, it's the soul. I don't believe, as I've said, that body, soul and spirit, and they are all sort of equal and they're all different compartments. We live our lives in compartments. We don't live our lives in, in sort of compartments. Our being is not made up of compartments, it's made up of a whole. And at the centre of the whole there is the soul that drives it. And in this psalm we have some lovely help and encouragement as to what we can do if our soul isn't functioning properly. What the psalmist does is this. He remembers the times of blessing and refreshing and the fellowship that he once had. He said, soul, you're not doing very well, but I remember when you did. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And he suddenly remembers these huge times of celebration. It's possible that this time the psalmist, for some reason or other, was in exile, or he was a long way away from Jerusalem. He was no longer able to have fellowship with the people of God. So he's down in the dumps, out in the desert, in the wilderness. Certainly, if it wasn't physical, it was in a spiritual state. He's out there in the wilderness. 
And he wants to get back. He's asking the question of of his soul. Why am I like this? And then he starts on a pathway back. Let me say this morning that if your soul's a bit out of order this morning, if it's not functioning properly, it's only firing on three cylinders instead of four, or one instead of four, if you're in that condition this morning, there is always a way back. Always a way where God can come back into your life and he can revive you and he can refresh you. And we don't live in the past. I can remember some incredible times that we had 30 years ago. Some of you may remember the Downs Bible Week up there at Plumpton. And we, we, we got into that. And, uh, and they were phenomenal. And I remember other times too where just it seems as though the glory of God was so great. Back in my sort of young days, I remember we were in a meeting and it was so great. And, and we believed that the Shekinah glory of God had come into the room because it was all misty. Then we looked outside and there was a London fog. (laughs) (laughs) But the the spiritual blessing. Do you remember those times? And what do you do when you remember those times? Say, yeah, that was great. Doesn't work now. It'll never come back. Never say never. Never say never. God can touch your life again. And those times that you remember that were so pertinent and powerful in your life, the day you were saved, the day you were baptised in water, the day you were baptised in the Holy Spirit, the day when God moved upon your life in some particular way of guidance or of blessing, and you were just so full of glory and the joy of God. I remember that. I've written a book. It's all in the book. So it doesn't need to be in the book. And I'm the kind of person who writes who writes stuff down. I've just done a scrapbook of our life and so on. And it's good to remember the past. But look, it's not the past. The past can motivate us to say, God, will you please once more touch my soul? Lift me up, revive me, strengthen me. Think of some time when God blessed you. And say, God, do it again. It may not be the same. But do it again and do it better. Have you got faith for that? Have you got faith to believe that 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 living water, I've spoken about a stream this morning, can subtly start to flow again and bubble and you're full of God and his love. And then secondly, he speaks to his soul and he says, soul, I'm talking to you. Now, the early Methodists may have talked to one another, but it's also good to talk to ourselves. And if you're down in the dump spiritually this morning, talk to yourself. And he speaks to his soul. He says, soul, why are you like that? Why are you so down? Get up. Get up. Bless the Lord. That Psalm 103, which is an absolutely phenomenal psalm for Anne and I, it's been very special to us in the last year. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who crowns thee with loving kindness, who restores your youth like the, like the eagles, who heals you, heals all your diseases. Wow, wow, wow. And you say to your soul, soul, I'm going to bless the Lord for all he has done. You speak to your soul. And there is a slight transition between verse 5 and 6 when he says, for I will yet praise him, talking about God, And then in verse 6 he says, I will yet praise you, therefore I remember you. And from being an outside kind of 
uh, force in his life, God, and he's just talking about God, he suddenly brings it into himself and he says, God, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to speak to you. And in faith, he gets up. He says, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And he turns his face once more towards God. I'm asking this morning that we, that we speak to our souls, and in a sense that can be inward, but once we've done that, then we have to turn outward. And we have to look up, we have to look outward. We have to look towards the God of our salvation and say, God, I've looked at my soul, I've spoken to my soul, but now I'm going to look to you. Because we have a God who is able to do great things in our life and is able to restore and renew and revive us. He can do that. And whatever we need this morning, his grace is sufficient. I just had a situation a couple of weeks ago when I, I suspected that I was not going to get good news from the hospital and so it turned out. But that morning, before I had the phone call, I just felt God speak to me and say, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And whatever we need, God's grace is sufficient. If we will look away from ourselves and our own needs and our own problems and the condition of our soul and say, Lord, I look to you. I turn my face towards you. And so he, he turns toward God and he has this deep, deep longing for God. We will get nowhere... We do get nowhere spiritually unless we long for God. There's this business, if you seek me, you will find me. If you turn to me, I will do things. But you have to have, and I have to have, a desire to, to seek God. If we think we can play around with the stuff that we've been playing around with and that's deadened our soul, and yet still have a, a spiritual experience with God, it doesn't work like that. And this psalm is full of this deep, deep longing for God. Do we really long for God this morning? Do we want him to be in our lives? Or do we just want him to be a kind of, I don't know, benefactor? Who will give us this, give us that. Lord, I don't feel well this morning, please heal my cold. And we're, we're wanting, or I'm a few pounds short this week. Lord, will you please give me, give me, give me. Or do we want God himself? And he longs for God. There's a beautiful hymn. My goal is God himself. And then I think it says, not joy or peace even. It's not the gifts, but the giver. That's the one that we want. And if we seek God, we will find that he comes into our lives. 18 months, maybe nearly two years ago, Anne and I, we revamped our prayer life and started to pray yeah, pray. pray more if you want to do it in quantity, but it wasn't just that. But it was a, a greater reality that we felt that we needed in prayer. And last year, we had some of the most incredible things that have ever happened to us in our lives. We learned to pray this prayer, but we decided to pray this prayer, I think it was last April. Lord, in all our doings, guide us. We pray every single day. We prayed it before we came out this morning. Lord, comes from the hymn, Jesus good above all other. Lord, in all our doings, guide us. The most remarkable thing is that once we started to pray that, we find that God actually answers the prayer. 
And the kind of leading that we have had in our life has almost blown our mind away sometimes because God has been there. And it's though God's saying, well, look, if you, it, it, why didn't you play it before? <laughs> you know, you have this vague sort of feeling, oh, yes, I'd like God in my life, but why don't we verbalise it? Why don't we articulate it? Why don't we turn to God and say, God, yes, I do want all those other things about my family, about my friends and healing and money and all those jobs, all that kind of thing. But Lord, actually, I want you. I want you to move in my life in a powerful way. You go into the... You buy a packet of cigarettes. <laughs> no, you don't buy a packet of cigarettes. But it says, tobacco can seriously damage your health. It's true. True. But sin can seriously damage your soul. Eh? On every sin, there should be this label. Sin can seriously damage your soul. And if we allow that kind of junk in our lives, then our souls will be damaged. 1 Peter chapter 1.11, abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from sinful desires. Do you listen to the language? It's like when you're going to buy a car, and you think you're going to buy a car, and then you see them on every street. You know, you want whatever kind of car you want. Ooh, it's everywhere. It's like that with soul. Once, once I started to think about this whole business of soul, I found this word everywhere. Abstain from sinful desires, which war against what? The soul. The soul. If we put junk in, we'll get junk out. But if our desires are towards God, if we're looking towards him, if we say, Lord, I'm prepared to put other things out of the way in order that you can come into my life in a greater way. Kind of thing Tyler was talking about, about fasting. And sometimes we need to push things out of our lives in order that God can become real. One of the things that Anne and I did in, when we were sort of looking at our prayer life, we had to always watch the 10 o'clock news. We always watch the 10 o'clock news. Always, always, always. For years and years and years. So we ditched the 10 o'clock news. We still sometimes watch it, watch it, because it's not legalistic. <laughs> but you push something out of the way, you stop some of this other, these other things blocking up the channel, blocking up the stream, interfering with the effectiveness and the, and the speed of the computer, you push some of those other things out of the way and it makes room for God to flow and your soul starts to flourish once more. As the deer pants for streams of living water, he's saying, God, I want you. Trouble is we're not like that, most of us. Most of the time we're not like that. But even if we move a little way in that direction and say, God, I want you. I want you in my life. Do you see how important our soul is? Absolutely crucial. Totally, utterly confusion. What did I say? And we're worried about our health, sure. Worried about our money, worried about our families. We're worried about our family in some ways. All these kind of things. And we can worry about all that kind of stuff, but we never worry about our soul. And it's the most important thing. God, will you please help me, not just to preach the words, but to do something about it. Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Wow. 
Do you know, today God can touch us in our lives and he can restore our soul. And this sluggish soul that's just been, or the soul that's been limping along, or the soul that's got cluttered up. The Lord Jesus, he wants to restore our soul so that life and joy and everything else that is spiritual and blessed flows through it. That passage I read to you from 3 John, been misused, I believe, by many people to kind of say we should be wealthy all the time. But it's the way round that he, he puts it. He says to Gaius, he says, I pray that you may be in health, even as your soul is prospering. So, Gaius, he had no trouble with his soul, it's just that his body wasn't very good. I pray that you may be in health and things may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. In our Western society, it's very often the other way round. Everything else is fine. We've got money, we've got the things we want. And Anna and I, we sit in our home sometimes, it's not a grand home. Typical 1960s, semi-detached, three bedroom, whatever. But we say, we've got everything we need. There's nothing we need. You know, physically, well, not physically only, but or even, but, um, you know, materially, there's nothing we need. So, but what about our soul? As we're looking last night on the television, these terrible pictures of those kids in the refugee camps fleeing from Syria, traumatised, how awful, and that whole refugee business, and the boats crossing from Turkey to Greece, and people being killed, and these awful, awful situations. But God has blessed us. So we say, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Why do I need to bother about my soul if everything's fine? It's not a good way to look at things. If everything is fine with you this morning, you and I, we need to look to our soul more than ever. Pray that you may be in health. Things weren't going well with Gaius, but his soul was okay. Sometimes with us the other way around, everything's going well with us, but it's our soul that's not okay. He restores my soul. There's been a load of talk in the last eight years or so about austerity. What about our soul? Has your soul been going through a period of austerity for eight years or however many time, however many years it happens to be? God wants to restore your soul. wants to restore my soul. Because once we get this right, the very heart of all that we are, once we get that right, then we'll suddenly find that the blessing of God flows. Doesn't mean everything will be hunky-dory and we'll never have any problems. But once you've got that right, then everything else is in perspective. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people, in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.